So, very quickly, I don't know really how it happened, but we very quickly jumped into the middle of summer. Did you realize that? Somewhere in the last two weeks, right? Okay. We somehow went from cold weather to summer, like, like this. Now, if you're wondering, why did, where's, why did you cut your hair? Because of summer. All right. It's so hot to have a lot of hair here in the summertime. But what else happens in summertime? People start preparing for December, right? It's like it's time to put away the winter habits and start training. So you'll see people that you don't really ever thought jog, start jogging. (laughs) Or start listening into those conversations. You'll have friends that all of a sudden are pitching up for the first time at their Virgin Active membership. Yes? Now, it's 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 actually amazing. Like, even if you're non gymmer do yourself a favor. Somewhere this week, just go to a gym and observe. It's fascinating to see what happens in gyms, especially this time of year. They, it's full. There are queues for weights. It's like people are eyeballing each other because they are too long on the treadmill. It's fascinating to see how this time of year just brings people to the gym to start training. But what is more fascinating is the attire that people wear at gyms. You realize that? It's almost... The more revealing, the better. It's like you're, the, more, the less clothes I wear, the more fitter I become. Right? It's like the more spandex I wear, the more I can bench. Or the, or the, or the quicker I can do that step thing. By the way, if you've never done it, you're not allowed to look down on the step people. That is impressive what they do on that step thing was once waiting for my friend to come for squash, and I was like, hey, this thing looks like very easy to do, so I climb on the step thing. It destroyed me, and I lost my squash game. It was very disappointing. (laughs) But what is, now, sure, not all gym attire is, in my opinion, appropriate or necessarily God-honoring, but what it does do is the gym wear that people wear kind of exposes the flab. There's no place to hide. There's no place to hide those donuts that you had in July. Now, God bless the people with confidence that step into those spaces, and they, they, they don't mind they're not hiding it, right? But gym clothes, you're wearing it, it's like you can't hide your unfitness. I'm really being very political correct right now, okay? Don't wanna, I'm rather saying fit than not the other F word, okay? Just, just let you know, I'm talking about fat, not, Okay. <laughs> You can't hide the fat in spandex, even no matter how hard you try. Now, if this is new news to you, I'm sorry that I've offended you, but it's true. Maybe you should just look at yourself from the other angle in the, in the mirror. All right. So, where's, where are you getting at? There's something in our Christian walks that we go through, that cannot, that will expose certain areas in our lives, that will, that will force us to a place where we cannot hide who we really are and what we really believe. 
and that is suffering. See, when you go through a season of suffering or through trials, it is something that you go through that no matter how hard you try, you cannot hide what's really there. See, the problem is when we go through sufferings, now we feel like I have to, why wasn't I fit enough? Why wasn't I strong enough? Well, it's too late. October's too late. You should have maybe thought of that seventh donut in July not to do it. It's too late now. We will see your double chin. It's the same with suffering. Suffering is something that once we go through it, you cannot hide who you really are and what you really believe. And this is where I'm jumping into a church, or this letter that Jesus writes to the church in Smyrna. Now, who's this message for tonight? For two people. Number one, if you're in a place that you're facing trials and suffering right now. Now, I'm not saying trials and suffering due to sin. A lot of us suffer because of sin, not because of our faith. Okay. I think it's very clear. Lord, why am I suffering? Well, maybe it's the sin in your life. Okay, so this isn't suffering because of sin. This is suffering because of who I am, of who Jesus has called me to be, the, 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 the religion that I profess or the relationship that I profess about Jesus. That because I'm a Jesus follower, I'm suffering or going through certain trials. So this message is for you that is currently facing that. And this message is for you that will still face it one day. Because there's a guarantee, last year we did a series called, I wish Jesus didn't say that. And I know Gideon preached a sermon that says, you will be persecuted. If you're a Christian, if, you were, if you're a firm and a solid believer of Jesus Christ and you're following him in a lifestyle, that means somewhere in your life you will be persecuted. Now that's not the scripture we see people tweet or people put on Instagram, right? I will be persecuted. Can't wait. Hashtag blessed. We don't see that. But this is who this is for you today. So maybe you've not experienced this before, but you will. I love you enough to be honest with you. At the age of 23, I didn't really know what suffering and trials were. Seven years later, it's a different story. So everything in bold, I want you to read with me as we open up God's word tonight in Revelation 2. And the angel of the church in Smyrna wrote, All right, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not, but are synagogues of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who, will, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Short but a powerful letter that Jesus addresses this church in Smyrna. When I look at this, this is challenging. I mean, words like, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Not do not fear because maybe one day down the line. For what you're about means it's coming. So pretty much, so this church going through tough times, massive tribulation, and they are in poverty. 
And Jesus says, more is coming. It's going to get worse. Not only will you face tribulation and trials and, and, and poverty, but some of you are going to be put in prison and some of you will die. C.S. Lewis says, has a famous quote that says, if you're looking for a religion that will keep you comfortable, comfortable I definitely don't recommend Christianity. I kind of see this in the scripture. It's like, where's, that, where's those nice preachers that say, you're blessed. You're going to live your life. You will succeed. Call on your blessings and riches. God doesn't want destruction for you. And here we're confronted with the word of God. Jesus is saying, I know you're going through this, and I know you're poor. All I say is, but you're actually rich. It's going to get worse. So what's happening? So situation, what's happening? So this is a time in history where Christianity started to kind of form its own religion. So for a long time, it was kind of seen as just this, this little movement in the, Jewish, in the Jewish belief. Can you guys still hear me? Sounds like things. Um, it was kind of just like this, this sect that's part of, you know, the whole Jewish religion. But now it's starting to take its own shape and form. And the Jews were kind of, they started siding with the Romans. Instead of kind of looking after these Christians, the Jews were kind of t tipping and ticking off the Romans and saying, but these Christians, see what the Jews had done, they had come to an understanding so that they can be safe and have good standing with Roman authorities. What they did is they said, okay, we won't worship your emperor and your gods as our God, but we'll worship them as rulers. Or we'll give honor to them as rulers. So we can see that the Jewish people of that day had already started to compromise in certain elements of what they believe. And here's where the problem gets because we don't see Jesus rebuking the Roman Empire. We see Jesus saying the Jews are on Jews but are actually the synagogue of Satan. See, do you know how tough it is? When you and I start compromising truth to really stay on that fine line. Because here's this, the Jewish people. No, we honor emperor as ruler. And slowly but surely, that just, it just gets muddy. Because where does ruler start and where does God stop? Or where, where does, how does that image look like? Jesus brings this harsh word. I mean, talk about, talk about giving someone like a harsh word. Imagine someone called, like you're walking down the street and say, hey, you're synagogue of Satan. I mean, I think it's kind of up there amongst insults, right? See, the Jews that started compromising with, with, with Rome. And although it started off that they will just recognize the officials as rulers, they started recognizing their rulers as gods. See, the Jews had already started being adapting to the new culture of what Rome was about. The Roman Empire, if you, don't, if you don't know history, you can go and do some studies on just exactly kind of the things that the Roman Empire stood for. I'll give you maybe one or two. So things that, Rome, that the Roman Empire kind of controlled most of the found world in that time, what they believed about women, if it wasn't for the Bible... We would have no one stand up for who women are and what women are meant to be in our society. 
They believed women were second-grade people, that they couldn't vote, they women weren't allowed to divorce, but a man may. Women weren't allowed to have extramarital affairs, but men may. See, if you were a man in, in Rome and you were of the Roman culture, you were allowed to, as long as you can cheat, as long as the other person's not married. And you're allowed to have sexual relationships with a teenage boy as long as he's under a certain age. See, what this Roman Empire believed was so perverse and so sick. You can look at what they believed about marriage. Marriage, there was no love, no romance. It was only a contractual coming together where there were babies and finances. And yet the Bible comes and challenges this culture and challenges this belief. which says, no, that marriage is a, is, reflects Jesus and the church. It's a sacrificial connection between people where you're giving yourself away and finding someone that ultimately helps pursue Jesus with you. Where the Bible continuously uplifts and gives women their own identity in God's kingdom, not as a secondary citizen, but made in the image of God. Be careful whose Instagram page you follow because what you think they say sounds trendy when the word of God has already identified certain things that you and I should believe. There is no other belief that liberates women as much as what Christianity does. See, what, what was happening here? is that once a people that were chosen out for God started compromising in what they believed and who they worshipped. Starting to sound a bit familiar, right? See, compromise is almost like that first cookie. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. No, I shouldn't have it. Okay, I'll just have one. And then the first one kind of leads to the second cookie. And then the third one. And then before you know it, the whole box is done. See, that's the danger with compromise, church. Compromise, it starts very small. It's with one lie. It's with one sin. One wrong understanding. One offense at a time. And slowly but surely, you and I start drifting away from God. That's the problem with compromise. When you and I start compromising who we are called to be, who the church is called to be, who we profess to be in Jesus and who Jesus is for us, it doesn't normally start with this big bang one statement. It starts with maybe God isn't good enough. Maybe he doesn't really recognize me. Maybe I'm just part of the number. Maybe he just doesn't understand these times. Just with one lie at a time, one sin at a time, we drift and we drift and we drift. There's an old saying that says, sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. And sow a character, reap a destiny. If you're trying to break a habit somewhere in your life, friends, do not start with the habit. You have to go back to what you believe. It starts with those thoughts. It starts with the understanding and your belief system. You cannot squash a habit if you don't go to your belief system. Mm -hmm. 
See, the thing is, compromise, we sometimes, and especially in today's culture, we believe that, man, how truth has become, I mean, you get people, there's no absolute truth or truth. It's, it's, it's kind of gray. You know, your truth, my truth, we all want truth. But the problem is, guys, truth cannot get clouded. Our vision or perspective of it does. Truth stays the same. It's the way we view truth that gets challenged and that gets unclear or causes doubt. But truth remains the same. So what does the enemy want us to do to start questioning truth? Because as long as truth doesn't make sense anymore, I'm okay. Because we don't like to be the one at blame. So now we challenge certain truths. Now you can... Just think about the amount of truth statements that have been challenged just in the last three years in our society. Gender. Sexuality. Opportunity for different people, different races. We just see these kind of truth statements being challenged and it's almost like if we can make truth like hazy or bring just a fog around truth, then we'll be okay, because then everyone can kind of do what they want. But truth cannot change, because then it's not truth. Now, where does this start? You see, it starts with the first time we shift that boundary in a relationship, that first bit of compromise, that first dodgy deal that you know, ah, oh, man, this isn't, that first time we kind of just take the shortcut. Like if I really, I like, oh, I heard someone in the week say, if you have to really go and ask a businessman today, if you would live absolutely to the T, 100% truthful, what result will it bring? And most people would say we'd probably not be able to move forward with our business. See, that's where compromise, it's with that first time. It's where that first time you cut the corners and you submit something that shouldn't be there. It's the first time we manipulate numbers so that it makes sense, but it's not honorable. One of the big ones that we've seen, one of the big compromises is, now let's move in together before we married. Now if you missed, we spoke about it a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to jump back into that. But it's a place of compromise. No, but it's a, it's a modern understanding, guys. How else will I know? Well, who do you trust more? Do you trust God, the one that you profess, that you will believe in and meet with eternity and live for, for the rest of your existence? Or do you believe Time Magazine or Paris Hilton or whoever? Yes, she's relevant again. I don't know how that happened. Like, since when are we back in 2004? It's the first time we compromise. And saying, and ultimately compromise, guys, is, is when we take things into our, our hands. Compromise is so dangerous. And I'm, 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 I just sense that I need to labor this, this point because it kind of then makes sense, Jesus' strong words for those that compromise, calling them synagogue of Satan. The problem is, Compromise makes the church look the same as the world. Then we wonder, why do we struggle to have influence in the world? I wouldn't want something that looks the same, but promises a different outcome. Charles Spurgeon actually said this many years ago. He said, I believe the one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. 
Like I wonder if we would do a study and say, what do church people watch on Netflix and what do non-church people watch on Netflix? I wonder what our results would be. I wonder if we could say, what do those that believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord of their life, the Savior of their soul, He's the lover of who they are as the Creator, I wonder if we ask those people and those who don't believe that, like, how much can you drink at a bachelorette or a bachelor party? I wonder what the results would be. I wonder if we ask this group of people that believe in Jesus and say, He is the only way. And those that don't, if we look at their books and the way they conduct themselves as bosses or employees or employers, I wonder if that would look the same. The way we treat even the least of these. I wonder if we would ask a group of people that say Jesus is the only way. And a group that says, no, that's not true. And we look at their sexual lives. What, what would we see? Would we see something different? See, compromise, friends, ultimately, when you and I face times of suffering and times of trial, because this is what this church was facing, it was tough, it was difficult, and it's going to get more tougher. Trials, ultimately, will make, have, you'll have a choice. You're either going to go down the road of compromise or down the road of faithfulness. Who do you want to be? See, in times of suffering or times of trial, friends, I want to encourage you tonight that even if it takes almost the very fiber of who you are to just have little steps of obedience, little steps of faithfulness. Because what you're going through now, if you can be faithful where you are today, in your classroom, in your test, even if someone says, I've got the memo for you, what are you doing about that? Because if you, can, uh, if you and I can be faithful today, we can be faithful later. So faithful now for faithful later. Say that with me. Faithful now for faithful later. You have no idea what's coming in 10 years' time. I don't want you to fail that test. So that when you lose a parent, or you lose a child, or you lose a job opportunity, or your business goes bankrupt, the one that was booming for all those years, there's nothing left. That you do not fall down there, but because you were faithful every step of the way in your journey and in your life, you can be faithful later. And then there's always this conversation on, okay, but how do I then, ways we call to love the lost and spend time in the world? Yes, we should. But we don't have to compromise what we believe and how we believe we should live. A lot of people get hurt in the name of Christianity. Christ, Christian sports stars, Christian um, businesses, Christian schools, because ultimately what they profess and how they conduct themselves looks exactly to those who want nothing to do with Jesus. How did Jesus do this? See, Jesus was relevant because he walked where, where the lost walked. He wasn't afraid to engage with people who didn't believe. But get this. Jesus spent time with drunkards, but he never got drunk. Jesus ate with corrupt tax officials, but he was not corrupt. Can you and I complain about a government that is corrupt if you pirate music and videos? Isn't corruption corruption? No matter what level, 
Now, if you're corrupt as a 20-year-old sitting in your room and you're watching your pirated movies, let's put some power and money to that process and let's think in 20 years from now, you're going to say no to that illegal tender. Faithful now for faithful later. You've been along here, you heard our campus national director, Carol McKeezy, like brings that hard, guys. We can't say, look at them. The question is, look at us. That bribe to get you out of speeding. Faithful now for faithful later. Jesus empathized with prostitutes, but he never compromised his moral standards. I understand that, I think, friends, here's the thing. When it comes to sexuality and the the environment we're living today, like I've said, I'm going to say it again. Never let your sexuality become your identity. You're so much more than that. God designed you so much more than that. Never believe in in an ideology that kind of wants to limit you to who you find attractive. Rather, wrestle with this and say, Lord, how do I face what I'm feeling but still want a life that honors you because I want to be faithful now so that I can be faithful later. We do not have to change our conduct to fit in with the world, friends. We just have to change our patience and our love for people. I'm not saying some of these challenges are tough. Some of these things that you maybe even feel right now, it's hard and it's tough and you don't know what to do with it. But thankfully, there is one that says, I will walk with you. Jesus in the scripture says, I know. In premarital, those of you who are doing it now and those who will do it in the future, one of the things that they kind of teach the husbands is to not always come with a solution. Women, say amen to that. I just want you to hear what I feel. It's not about the nail, if you've seen that video. Nadion. Here's the creator of the universe. The only one that got onto a cross to save you and change the direction of your destiny. Who comes to you and says, I know. Man, and that's, that's going through the year that we've faced in the last 12 months. I've been running away from a God when all that he wants to me to know, he's saying, ways I know. I know your pain. I know your trials. I know the suffering. And the problem is we go look for the I knows at so many different places to get safety or just encouragement or warmth and embrace. When Jesus says, I know. Compromise. When you and I start compromising, it's like running down a downhill. Sooner or later, we've lost control. Are you drifting maybe one lie, one sin, one thought at a time? How do we prevent this? Are you part of a family that loves you enough to say what what you're believing right now isn't true? Now, most of us would probably not be persecuted in a way like they will be persecuted. 
Most of us won't go through what the Smyrna church will go through, imprisonment and death. But Matthew 5 verse 11 says the following. It says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I know it's not a popular thing being the Christian in the corporate world right now. But here's the thing, Christian businessmen, if you get to a place where you start can, um, expressing your leadership and it's all about profits, it's all about ungodly hours, it's all about sacrificing family and church and mission and generosity, where it's all about just the output and the output, aren't we part of that problem? Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I'm going to make this practical. Your employer might not require you to worship him like an emperor. I doubt it. Don't think so. But there are ways that our society pressures us to worship other idols. There's pressure to make money. And to be successful and ultimately like money and success are God. Therefore we work endless hours to make a profit that we will never achieve because when we get there it's not enough. And if we don't buy into this idol of success, we might miss out on the next promotion. We might just miss out on the next business opportunity. Learn to come to a place of contentment. Will you compromise or stay faithful? See, there's a pressure also to bow down to the gods of sexual freedom and moral relativism. And if we don't, we might be labeled as backward, old school, or even bigots. Will we stay faithful or will we compromise? When your family and friends reject you because, of you, because you choose Jesus above certain traditions, certain cultural expressions, will you compromise or stay faithful? See, Jesus is saying, he says, do not be so concerned with the things that your culture values. Forget about those crowns because I will give you the crown of life. Those things that your culture deem the most important, you can't live without it. Jesus says, don't place too high a value on that because I will give you the crown of life that is the most value. The first death, no one will, ex will escape. Guys, reality, everyone in this room is going to die. Not necessarily the greatest encouraging word on a Sunday night, right? The first death isn't optional. Heaven is optional. None of us will escape the first death. But not every one of us will experience heaven. That is the promise the scripture brings us. So how are you going to stay strong and not give in to compromise? Change your perspective to what is truly most important. If your chief concern in life, if your goal in life is happiness, you will choose comfort over faithfulness every single time. If you just want to be happy right here on planet Earth for the 70 years that you will live, you will choose comfort over faithfulness every single time. If your chief end or your ultimate goal is physical health, well, you're going to compromise your faith when you are threatened with certain things. If it's money, you will compromise your faith for the sake of financial gains. 
How do you and I stay strong and not give in to compromise? To make Jesus your prize, your goal, your greatest desire. The one who you desire above everything else. And the irony about that, the moment you and I do that, everything just kind of falls where it should be. There was a man called Polycarp. He was the leader of this church in Smyrna. And um, 86 years old. They capture him and they say, well, we're going to kill you now because this is getting out of hand, this whole Christian movement. We're going to squash it. So they always try and kill the leaders. Well, what they actually try to do is they tried for Polycarp to renounce his faith. And I want to read you just, this is out of a... Um, I'm going to read you a quote for your last meal. Polycarp says, no, he says, don't give me my last meal. I rather want to spend my last hour in prayer. Not even the police captain wanted, Polycarp to, wanted to see Polycarp die. On the brief journey to the city, he pleaded with the old man, what harm is it to say Caesar is Lord and to offer sacrifice and be saved? But Polycarp was adamant that for him only Jesus Christ was Lord. He said, for 86 years... My Savior has been good to me. He deserves no right, or there is no reason for me to denounce him now. What harm is it to say this is okay? And how many times are we faced with these kind of lies just in society? What harm is it to say this is okay? What harm is it to say this is what we believe in, this is what we accept? Oh man, it's, it, it, it doesn't harm anyone, right? Polycarp was eventually caught and they put him on a, or we're going to burn him in the Colosseum. And um, they brought this big pole and they brought nails to hammer him that he obviously doesn't run away when the flames come. And he said to them, grant me this that I may share in my Christ Savior, that if he's led me to this point, he will even lead me through the flames. So this man denied nails, denied ropes, and just stood there as he was burned alive. This is what made this church in Smyrna stand out, that they could stay faithful to Jesus even in the worst of times because living for him was the only reason for existence. He was their goal. Can this be so of us, every nation willows? Yes. Can this, be our, can this be us? We say even if we don't get the business deals because this is what we believe. We don't get that boyfriend or the girlfriend because this is what we believe. We don't get certain things or rewards in this life because this is what we believe. And be able to stand firm in that and say, faithful now for faithful later. Can I ask? Don't wait for the trial to come to think you're going to be strong enough to withstand it. If you've ever watched any survival story, whether it's Survivor or Naked and Afraid or whatever, you'll see that the, the moment they realize the shelter's not strong enough, it's too late. Storm's already there. Don't wait until all hell breaks loose in your life before now you want to start committing to church and doing, getting discipled and reading your Bible. Friends, start now. If you are in sunshine, Right now, are you using it wisely? 
if life is well and you can, you, you can see the rain coming and the rainbows are out in your life, I praise God for that, but use it wisely. Don't skim now. Be discipled. Make sure the foundations are laid firm in your life. If there's one thing that the last year has taught me, is that I thought, no, my house is built on the rock, not on the sand. I mean, why would you build your house on sand? I mean, that doesn't make sense, right? We all know that whether you're Christian or non-Christian, we all kind of understand when you say that you must build your house on the rock and on the sand, it makes sense, right? This last year's taught me that I've maybe built my house on 10% rock and 90% sand. Not there yet. Because when the storms come, I could see things just starting to disappear. But I thank God for his faithfulness that we've been singing about. That you and I can come and say, Lord, okay, I'm going to take my 10% to make it 15%. So I'm 15% on the rock, 85% on the sand. And you and I encourage and build with each other. Make sure our houses are built on the firm foundation that will withstand everything. Jesus himself said that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Mm -hmm.